In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Vincent Van Vam about building relationships with customers at scale. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 144. Welcome to the Business E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm here today with Vincent, and we are talking about how to build relationships with customers at scale. In this episode, he gives a quote from Paul Graham that I really love that I'm going to link in the show notes. He also gives a list of different ways you should be talking directly with your customers to get better customer feedback. I think there's some great tips that are in this episode. So I will link to those in the show notes, but let's get right into the episode. So, hey, Vincent, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, Charles. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome to have you on the show. Um, we're just chatting a bit on the kind of pre-show here, but I want to kind of get right into it. Um, so talking about building relationships with customers at scale. So quick, quickly, a little bit of background. You're the founder of a career coaching platform. That's right. What exactly is that? So career coaching is if I'm you know, looking for a job, that sort of thing, I kind of switching jobs and you kind of, your platform helps folks do this at kind of at scale, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So we sell a digital membership to a program that's called Viton and Viton helps people grow in their careers. So, you know, the average corporate job posting today gets 250 applications or resumes for every single application. So it's normal for job seekers to be pretty frustrated with the process. You think about you're competing and right now, especially with the pandemic, you're competing with a lot more people. Um, and so we provide support job search strategy from everything from your job search all the way through to your next promotion after you get that job um, to help people find fulfilling careers and, you know, a life that they really love. And it's been, you know, really interesting when you take a look at how the pandemic has really impacted how people learn online. You know, as you know, e-commerce has taken essentially a five year jump from the previous trends with this pandemic and has really accelerated consumer shopping online, which is why, you know, building relationships online is different than you do face to face. You know, when you have a brick and mortar store, if you were opening up a store, you know, if you sell cooking gear, you can have cooking demos in your store and invite your customers to come in. You know, you think like the the Home Depot style workshops where families come in and, you know, the children are building a bird's nest in the store. Now the challenge ends up being, how do you do that online? And, you know, the good news is you can scale that to a lot more people Bad news is, though, is it's not as easy as just setting up a table in store and just having a bunch of people come in where that's a pretty simple strategy to do. Yeah. So it's almost like you need a playbook on scale on that, right? Because, the you know, you bird, bird tables, bird, bird, uh, bird houses, <laughs> right? Bird tables, um, bird houses, right? You can that. Yeah. You pop up the little table. You're doing it right. The strategy can be very like ad hoc. But what you're saying is like it's more repeatable. You just need something to repeat, though. And I think that's a lot of people get in this thing where you know you have to connect to the customers, you kind of know all that, and everyone goes with kind of the basic, like, let's post on Instagram, and you're like, eh, that's not really, you're not really connecting with their customers. Um, so, and at the beginning, it's one thing, right? Because you can, honestly, I've, I know when I started, you'll get an order, a lot of times I would just call the people, you know, at a kind of high ticket item, just kind of call to make sure we got the order right, there was any options. So it was almost like just one, like one-on-one relationship building. You get to know the people, how they're using the product, um, and that worked at the beginning. 
But as we start to grow, obviously that doesn't work anymore. You, you don't call the founders, not calling every individual customer, asking them like, oh, what are you going to be doing with this? And kind of like learning about it very quickly. That just doesn't scale. So what would you kind of recommend if if someone's starting off? Because they can even start this kind of playbook from day one. Right. So it's something that you don't maybe from day one, you shouldn't be calling every customer. The founder should not just be calling every order. It's just not the best thing. But what would you set up from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I know countless e-commerce founders and the reality of it is in the first, I would say, year to two years, that's the reality of it. But it's also the best way to get to know who your customer persona is. You know, in marketing, they have this thing, the ideal customer avatar, which is kind of like this persona of who your customer is. And the reality is, is if you don't talk to your customers as a founder, that it becomes really hard to be able to understand what are their needs, what are their pain points, what are their dreams, what are their aspirations, and how does your service or how does your product help them with this transformation that they want to make in their life. And so talking to your customers is the best way of being able to do that. You know, the number one mistake that I see e-commerce founders making is being is having an anonymous storefront. What I mean by that is it's a really great looking website and it looks really polished and it looks really professional, but it's literally anonymous. You don't know who runs it. You don't know what city they're in. You don't know who that person is. And the truth is, is customers buy from stores that they trust. And so many founders are focused on having that professional appearance when uh, having a person and having a face there is, I would say, early on, one of the best things that somebody can do to be able to start building up their e-commerce store. Um, Customers have a really hard time trusting anonymous stores. You know, you're putting a credit card number in and hoping that a box shows up. And something as simple as uh, a photo of yourself with a name adds a ton of credibility over an anonymous store. Um, The next thing I would say would be you know, talking to your customers the way that you would talk if you were face to face. And so, you know, so many uh, merchants start out, whether it's selling at flea markets, whether it's popping up a table at somebody else's store. The truth of, of the matter is, is you're standing there and you're talking to other people and they're giving you feedback on what they like about uh, your product, what they wish they it would do and kind of why they're purchasing it. But you're also getting to know your customers. And so, You know, I know I love how you said early on, like, you know, popping up a table is super easy. Um, And when you post on Instagram, you know, and you go to that anonymous, really polished look, it's not authentic. It's not real. But yet if you pop up a table literally and you just start going on Instagram live, you can connect with your audience in a completely different way. And it doesn't have to be this huge production thing where you have studio lights and professional gear. It can literally just be like one of those $10 stands, like cell phone stands that you can just pick up on Amazon or wherever. And you can put that on a table with a a desk lamp and be able to connect with your future customers the same way that you would in person. Yeah. I think a lot of people way over kind of go overboard on this. You need like lighting and like microphones and that all comes over time, right? Like I think if you look at episode one of the show, there's like popping crackling in the back, like just like stuff was bad, right? And you kind of get this lighting now and there's better stuff, but you don't need that. Like you can literally, everyone has a cell, an iPhone, right? You can just pop that open, get going. Um, and the neat part is if it's live, I think a lot of people also have this like there that, well, no one's going to show up. You can always just save it for later and like you'll replay it and it can go on your Instagram. So at least now you look like you, you know, done a few, done a, did a few of these, right? It's not, um, 
it's not this empty page and get to see the face. Um, yeah. I mean, I, the hardest part is just getting started, right? Yeah. Like getting, getting started, you put so much thought into, yeah, but I got to paint this room or I got to get a better chair to sit in, or I got to get a better, a better looking whatever. And to your point, the lights all go into that. And you kind of just end up overthinking it all. And you kind of pointed out the funny part, which is chances are the first time that you go live, <laughs> if you don't have an existing email list, if you don't have an existing audience and you're just getting started, the first time that you go live, there's going to be maybe one or two people there anyway. So why are you like putting, you know, a month into preparation um, for that when the hardest part is just getting started? And once you get started, you kind of just realize that you can just iterate over time. Today's episode is sponsored by Drip. Drip is the world's first e-commerce CRM and a tool that I personally use for email marketing and automation. Now, if you're running an e-commerce store, you need to give Drip a try, and here's why. Drip offers one-click integrations for both Shopify and Magento. There's robust segmentation, personalization, and revenue dashboards to give you an overview of how your automation emails are performing. One of my favorite features of Drip is the Visual Workflow Builder. It gives you a super easy way to build out your automation rules visually and see the entire process. It lets you get started quickly, but also build very complex automation rules. It's powerful, but also easy to learn, unlike a lot of email tools that offer the same type of automation. To get a demo of Drip today, you can go head over to drip.com slash BOE. That's drip.com slash BOE. Now onto the show. One little tip I remember, um, e-commerce site back in the day, I don't know why, but we had an about us page and I thought, well, I should probably have that. Um, and you know, you go to the stock photos and you get like the guy put in the <laughs> box in the warehouse shelf and like, you know, he's wearing the hard hat and like all those nonsense photos and kind of started digging the analytics and realized that page is actually kind of popular. And when you actually go through it objectively, like it's popular and it looks stupid and really bad, right? Like we're all sitting around a conference table, you know, the guy in the suit and you're like, this is obviously like everyone knows this is a stock photo. And at the time I, kind of said, okay, I want to take some photos. I don't want to put a picture of like me sitting, I don't know, just like randomly. <laughs> so I had an office, had a logo on the door happened to be. So I started taking pictures of like a logo and like a coffee cup I had with a logo and just like stuff like that where you knew, and maybe it wasn't showing, you know, we didn't have obviously a warehouse and all this stuff, but just like, we have a logo. We're, a, we're actually, these aren't just stock photos. There is an office with a logo, it was a coffee cup. And I think it just felt a lot more real than that stock photo that everyone knew was a stock photo. Like we couldn't pretend like, you know, we weren't really wearing the hard hat, putting the box on the shelf, that sort of thing. I think something little like that just changed people's perception of, oh, these are actual humans and is there a coffee cup and not, right? yeah, just this templated site. I mean, it comes from the desire to like, you feel like you need to portray this legitimacy. And so that's why you put the polished stock photo. But to your point, what customers are looking for is yes, they want a site that's legitimate, <laughs> yeah. but they want authenticity along with it. Yeah. And if you if you're missing that authenticity, it just comes off as fake. Why um, do you feel like you I, get that at first? Because I feel like at the beginning, you always I think everyone runs into this. You get that feeling on we have to look, we have to do it at this level. And then somehow you get used to like it's actually like it takes time to like have that emotion. Like, no, 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 we can just show the real us. And it's just you know, a few people in an office drinking some coffee, like that's more real than showing we have this like boardroom table and like this like tower somewhere. I think it's possible to do both. I think this is like the difference between the Instagram story feed versus the Instagram or versus the feed versus the stories. 
and I think done really, really well, your Instagram stories can show the behind the scenes and customers kind of want to see that stuff. They're really intrigued by the, uh, that type of stuff. Um, and you know, on your Instagram feed, you can still have that really polished, really on brand look, um, while just giving, you know, hints of what's going on behind the scenes to make it really authentic. And the other part is on that about me page, a lot of stores make the pro or make the mistake of trying to be the hero in the story, meaning that the about me page is all about them, about all about why they're awesome and all about why their store is going to change the world when it should actually be the other way around. It should be about their customers. It should be about the the problems that the customers were facing and how they were inspired and motivated to go out and make an impact in that problem that they're solving for. And so you really want to, when you know who your ideal customer is, or you're going out to solve a problem and you're going out to help other people's lives improve, you want to make the story about them. And so that about me page is kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive because it's literally called an about me page yet the best pages are actually less about you and more about how you're helping to improve somebody else's life. Mm. And how would you actually display that though? How would you, would you show like, like on your about us, do you have like customer testimonials or more kind of like the origin story? Like, Hey, we, you know, started this brand cause we noticed this wasn't working well. Like where would you kind of get that into like, um, hook that into that? Yeah, there's a so there's a really good, really great framework that's called StoryBrand that I love. Um, StoryBrand was a book that was written by a guy named Don Miller. Um, I'm sure there's show notes, so we'll have a link in the in the show notes for it. But he really does has a really great structure for telling a story around your brand. And this like comes even before messaging. It becomes way before the about me page. And it's fundamentally about how you describe your business. So uh, for me up top, like of this episode, like one of the first things that I said was, uh, on average, every corporate job posting gets 250 resumes for every applicant or every single job posting. And so it's really common for job seekers to feel frustrated about their job search, right? That has nothing to do about with about me, but then it becomes really easy to roll into the last sentence, which is Vitan career coaching is an online platform that helps people get the pay and purpose that they deserve in their career. And so when you take a look at uh, that way of describing my business, it's not it's not about us. It's not about the fact that we've been featured in Forbes. We've been featured in, uh, you know, all of these publications because it's not about us. Like we're not the hero in this story. The hero in this story is our customers and how we're serving them and the improvements that they're making in their life. You know, I was just talking to um, one of our members the other day. Uh, in a pandemic got laid off, which is, you know, unfortunately, millions of people have been laid off this year. And he was able to negotiate a $4,000 pay increase. And so, you know, that hero in that story is really about him and the impact that he was able to make in his life. And so for every single brand, you know, I would think about, you know, what's the transformation that you want your customers to be able to make after they experience your product or your service? And, you know, a lot of companies will say, yeah, Vince, but like I just sell bed sheets or I just sell like we sell a couch, like a couch is not going to make a difference in somebody's life, but um, it can you know, it can, like if those bed sheets are helping somebody get better sleep, then you absolutely are having a quite arguably one of the largest impacts that you can have in somebody's life. 
if those bed sheets are organic and it makes somebody feel much better about the environment and their purchases as a consumer and, you know, their aspirational identity is they want to leave the world in a better place than they found it, then your organic bed sheets that are ethically sourced can absolutely help somebody fulfill the way that they feel about that. And so, you know, this is all about going back to what you and I have been talking about, which is talking with your customers, really understanding your customers, what they aspire to become and the problems that they're facing in their life. And, you know, really taking a look at how you, your brand, your product, or your service can help them with that, that change in their life. I like that. What are some other, when you start talking with customers, so I mean, when we talked about calling them directly, right? And that, mm -hmm. so it's funny because some of these things I've done and I always talk to people and I kind of think they're goofy ideas and then people say, oh, it's actually not the worst idea. It's just call someone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is going back before Instagram was a thing. What other ways yeah. would you actually do to, or are those kind of the ways, like what would you do to actually talk one-on-one -on -one with customers or one-on-to-many? Yeah. I mean, there's so many different ways of being able to do that. Uh, now in e-commerce email is King right now. Right. And maybe, uh, maybe text messaging and SMS, uh, will increase in the future, but today for all intents and purposes, email is King. And so one of the best things that you can do is start setting up an email list. Um, and you know, when you set up your email list, there's a lot of different tools, uh, that can do that. And fundamentally though, uh, all you need to get started is a tool to be able to build a list, send a message out and have some type of tags on the customers. Um, the tags on the customers, when it gets really complex, there's a million ways of being able to do segmentation on just, your customer. But this week's episode is sponsored by Drip. Just want to say that. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so check out Drip. Um, and, you know, all you need to do is a way to build a list and segment your customers. And you'll figure out over time what the right way to segment your customers is. But one of the first lists that I would do would be uh, leads versus people who have made purchases. Yep. Um, just because once somebody's taken that jump and they've made a purchase, um, those are going to be likely over your over time, your most loyal customers, right? Makes sense. They've made a purchase before you, you know, you were able to send them something or you were able to, in my case, sell them a digital good, um, or a digital membership. And so they're going to be most likely to make, um, a repeat purchase, but you can also segment your customers. If you, if you find that you have several different types of customers, or several different categories of uh, customers. In my instance, um, we see a couple of different types of uh, job seekers. We see job seekers who are unemployed. We see job seekers who are furloughed. We see job seekers who are employed and have a job right now, but maybe they're just not happy at, uh, with their job. And so you, you can, uh, and then the fourth one is we see students. And so uh, one of the first areas of segmentation that, that we did was we started categorizing customers by those categories unemployed, furloughed, currently employed, or a student. Because the message that you would send to be a, to a student would be different than a message that you would send somebody who's currently unemployed, right? The time frame is different. And so um, you want to take a look at whether you have different personas, different personalities like that, and then uh, start taking a look at what are the templates that would resonate with those different personas. And there's persona and there's sense of urgency. Right. 
being able to do email well, being able to put offers out there well comes with a combination of right offer as well as the right point in time. You could have an incredible offer, but if somebody isn't looking to be able to solve a particular problem for another few months, sending that at the wrong time doesn't have the impact. Um, and honestly, it comes off as spam because you're sending it to a customer that isn't looking for that yet. Yeah, I think, I think people run to that where you don't really know what to send them what to send when, right? Like, should you be sending a monthly newsletter? Should you be sending here are our sales? Like, where would you start to feel like there should be some frequency there on, do you just do it when you have something to tell them or are you just doing it based on, hey, we knew you bought this, you know, those sheets, here's some organic sheet news. Like, how would you kind of get that frequency dialed in to make sense for the customer? I mean, a lot of that has to do with customer activity, right? And so if you see somebody, let's say you're running that brick and mortar store, right? And you see somebody walking past your window and every single day they're looking into the window. That's kind of like the same as somebody who likes your Instagram posts every single day, right? Um, they're seeing it. They haven't come in the store yet, meaning they haven't visited your website yet. But if they like that Instagram post every day or they walk by that window and every day they kind of look over at what's in the window and they smile, then you know you have somebody who's interested. So then that next message, if you were running that store, you'd go, hey, come on in, take a look, right? So uh, you can do that type of marketing when you get those types of signals. And all of the, all of, uh, the different email marketing tools can help you do this. Uh, Drip, as an example, they can help you personalize and they can help you take customer data and to be able to personalize this type of experience. Um, some of the most common flows that you would build out though, would be your welcome sequence, which is what do you do when a, when a customer first, um, joins your email list. And that could be, you know, because of a pop-up that was on your website, or it could be because they put their email address in, or it could be because they placed an order. Um, but the other most common sequences would be abandoned cart. Um, yep. is one of the first that you would want to, uh, set up. And that's if somebody started the process of checking out and maybe they just had a question, maybe, you know, Charles, they just didn't know when the box was going to show up and they were purchasing it as a gift and they just wanted to make sure it was going to show up on time. And so, you know, this is an example of, you know, as a founder, you know, in the early days, like literally like send, just send an email to that customer and just say, Hey, I noticed you started, uh, checking out, but you didn't complete your order. Is there anything, is there, are, are there any questions that I can help you with? And over time, as you need to scale up, then you can automate that message. But early on, uh, it could be as, as simple as sending a two line email to that customer. I've, I've seen even, you know, 40 million, 50 million, uh, dollar annual stores that still send emails from the founder for abandoned cart that literally say what it said back in like year one, Hey, I'm Charles. Uh, you know, I founded, uh, this store. I noticed that you started checking out, but you didn't complete your order. Is there anything that I can help you with? Just reply to this email. Um, and you know, that was what they did in the early days. And later on they, they kept it cause it, it worked. It was real. It was authentic. Um, and if the customer res responded to it, um, you know, maybe sometimes Charles would respond, but more often than not, you would have, uh, you know, a customer service, uh, representative jump in and say, Hey, I'm going to respond on behalf of Charles, just so that you get a response right away. And the answer to your question is X, Y, and Z. I think people underestimate, and we even do this here with, um, we send out blast emails, they come from Charles and 
I'm actually replying to most of them, but they do go into customer service because once in a while we get a handful of replies. Other times we get a lot more. And a lot of times it's just, hey, Charles. And they literally just thought like people, and it could be a newsletter about something else or they forgot and they're like, oh, I want to do this like six months ago. And it just kind of, the newsletter got me uh, thinking of it again. And it's shocking how many people just hit reply and just started a conversation because they got a newsletter about some random topic too. It was always like shocking. But I think coming from a particular person, I don't even think it needs to be the founder. I get a few of these um, newsletters and they just come from, you know, so-and-so. But they always come from that same person at that company. So you start to get, you know, like, oh, I, you start to almost think you know that person, even though you've obviously never met them and no idea who they are. But it starts to build a relationship over time when, you know, every X amount of time you're going to get this email and it's coming from a real person. So you feel like, oh, I can reply back just instead of coming from newsletter ash or well you know like maybe it's going to go who knows right and you get some generic reply you actually expect if it comes from charles or fred you're actually going to reply from maybe someone at least named charles or fred at that point and people really underestimate that really helps the um the rate of replies big time yeah absolutely and it's incredible what your customers will tell you when you ask yeah. Um, in my welcome email, I just pulled it up right now. The last line of the welcome email says, hey, one favor before I go, reply to this email and let me know why you signed up, question mark. I would love to learn more about you. And it's incredible the responses that I get. Sometimes people will write paragraphs about their current situation in their life right now and exactly why they joined uh, the email list and exactly what they want to get out of it, which then helps me deliver on what they're looking for um, as well. And so, you know, uh, more often than not, you're like staring at a list of email addresses going, these are just anonymous email addresses. But when you really are getting to know people, this is where you can ensure that your messaging's on point and that you're solving for the core of what they're looking for. Yeah, well, I think that that's what starts that conversation right there. And then you can actually start an email conversation and that can very quickly go, oh, wanna, hey, wanna jump on a quick phone call? People give you the, like that actually you can start the conversation by just becoming a real person at that point mm-hmm. um, and not just newsletter at, you know, or hello at that sort of thing where whatever, you know, you're just going to be talking to someone somewhere that really doesn't care. Yeah. This, you know, like, hey, they actually want to reply back. And the little secret there is definitely helps your uh, open rates because at that point you're no longer in the Gmail um the little inbox on the side that no one looks at, the promotions tab, you actually become, oh, this is a real email that people are replying yeah. to. So Gmail you can sets, get in the primary inbox. Yeah. And like you're going to, if someone replies to that, you're going to be in that primary inbox for a long time, a very long time. So just don't abuse yeah. that power, but like it helps big time when people actually, when you prompt a reply and people actually reply, it really starts the conversation. Yeah, I love how you're talking about all of these things. Like Paul Graham from the uh, Y Commoner always talks about do things that don't scale and you're one do things that don't scale. And the the truth of the matter is, is um, you'll find tools and technology that will help you scale over time. But early on, these are the types of things that learning ends up being so, so, so important. And things that accelerate your learning will help you, you know, extend out your your runtime and you know it'll 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 help you move the business faster if you're learning a lot more and over time you know you'll find tools whether it's drip whether it's spark shipping and things that 
end up being really time consuming to be able to do, you'll be able to find tools to be able to help you save that time while still providing the same quality and the same level of experience. Um, I was talking at one point um, to uh, an e-commerce founder who's, this is a store that had passed uh, multiple dozens of millions of dollars. And the founder had, had shared with me at one point, you know, the goal when you're growing an e-commerce business is to get bigger without your customers feeling like you got bigger, mm. meaning the, the experience that you were able to provide when you were small is the same experience that you want to provide when you get bigger. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is you don't go into starting a business unless you want that business to grow, right? Your goal is to grow it. But if you can do that without your customers feeling like you're massive, the, that's where you have the win-win and some of the most successful brands, you know, have been able to scale that. Um, and that's why all these direct to consumer brands are, are known for having good customer experiences, whether it's Casper, whether it's, uh, you know, your Warby Parkers of the world, um, all of them start with experience. And, you know, this has to do with how you engage with your customers in your email, how you engage with customers in social media, how you engage with uh, customers through your one-on-one -on -one customer service. But across all those channels, um, they're all just different mediums of being able to communicate with your customers either in one direction or in two directions. Yeah, I like, I like that quote a lot, actually, when I add that to the show notes. And I, also the Paul Graham, do things that don't scale. And this one's been said a thousand times, but I think people still miss it. Like, no matter how many times you just keep see, like, you can beat, you can like beat that hologram drum. People just keep, they want to automate everything day one. And you just realize at the beginning, at least you're essentially like in a car driving in any direction and everyone wants to like drive faster. And you realize, no, 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 it's, you don't want to drive faster. You want to drive in the right direction. And at first <laughs> you don't even, you don't even know what direction you should be driving in. you just want, but everyone's saying, I want to go faster. Like, no, no, no. Doing things that don't scale allows you to, maybe you're going to slow down, but you're going to see what direction you should be going in. And maybe you shouldn't be selling mattresses. You should be selling, like you said, cheats. Like, and maybe even from talking to customers, you realize, oh, they all love their mattress. We don't want to get into that business. We should pivot a little bit. But without actually slowing down, kind of that learning phase, you don't realize that initially. So all you're doing is just trying to go faster and to sell something that might not make sense. It might not be right for you at that time. So, and I think people just getting started off, always underestimate that it's going to be a long game and just like slowing down a little and learning the beginning accelerates for the long run. And you don't need to be faster this week. It, you'll get there. But in the long run, learning is going to get you there a lot faster. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you get bigger, though, without your customers feeling like you're getting bigger? Like, how do you and, you know, like the great service, but I feel like very quickly it's just it's difficult to do right like day one when you know your email list is 100 people and reply to this and hey it'll come to Charles and he'll reply to each one at some point that's not going to be scalable how do you still have customer service everyone replying it like it came from the founder with that same level of you know really like curiosity and wonder and how do you how do you keep reproducing that when you get larger I mean, it come it all comes down to the unsexy part of business, which is good documentation, good processes, and fundamentally SOPs, right? Standard operating procedures. You might be doing something over and over and over again. And I think the fallacy that many leaders face is, is oh, I'm, I might as well just keep doing it 
because it's going to take me too long to train somebody else on how to do it. Right. Oh, it would, it would take me 40 minutes to teach so-and-so to do it. It's only a five minute task. So I'm just going to keep doing it every single day. And, you know, fallacy of in that is that, yes, it might take you eight times as long to train somebody else how to do it. But that's what leadership's all about, right? Leadership is about empowering others and trusting others. And yes, it might take you eight times as long to teach somebody else how to do it than if you were to do it yourself. But after you do that, it actually frees up, in this instance, five minutes a day, right? If you have something that takes you five minutes a day to do, but 40 minutes to train somebody else how to do it, after two weeks, you're breaking even on your time investment. But you've also empowered somebody else on your team. You've empowered somebody else to grow their role and responsibility. And you've shown that you trust somebody else. And quite frankly, in many instances, uh, they might come back and surprise you. They might come back and figure out a way to either automate it or do it better than how you were doing it. And so, you know, I think this is something that's tough in the early days when you're used to doing everything yourself and knowing that you're doing it to a certain standard. And as you grow, your role shifts because your role shifts into helping to teach somebody else how to do it to the same level, if not better than you were doing yourself. So I think number one there is like a mindset shift on investing your time in order to save your future time. And the second part is just really good documentation screenshots step-by-step step for how to make a change, right? Instructions step-by-step step describing it. Or my favorite is uh, just recording a video. Um, they have all of these different like Chrome extensions now. Drift makes one, Loom makes one, Vidyard makes one, where you can literally just like click a button and do exactly what you were going to do, except you just describe it out loud and it's recording your screen and then somebody else can go back and watch that that video. And if there's, you know, an action that you take every single week, let's say it's adjusting sale prices on a store. Or let's say it's changing the banner image on the homepage uh, of the store. You can record yourself doing it. You can have somebody watch that. Then you sit down side by side with them and you say, hey, let's do it together after you've already seen the video. And then maybe the week after that, the person that you're training is going to take those actions and you're just sitting there for questions, right? By week four, that person might be able to take the change independently, but they can always come back if they, if they have questions, you know, it's a time investment to be able to build that, to build that out. But over time, that's how you're able to provide the comparable experiences without doing everything yourself. Yeah. I think most people, same thing like you were saying earlier with just, trying to do too much at the beginning, same thing. When you sit down with this document and you open it, there's like the, you know, white page with the blinking cursor, you're like, oh, and you start typing and you're like, and you just go down this rabbit hole and you realize you're like an hour in and you're still on step one with this like long decision tree and you've taken 30 screenshots and like, oh no, like, and kind of the tact I always take when doing this is just open the document, type in your first like five bullet points, just get something on, on the page, right? Assume it's not going to be, anywhere near complete. It's not going to be anywhere near maybe that usable at the beginning, but you at least got something in a document on a page that goes in whatever repository, you know, and then next time you run through, you're just going to add a, a step each time and you're doing this every week. So, you know, you'll do it next week and you can just add another piece 
So you don't have to sit down. And I think most people, they don't want to go into this eight hour rabbit hole on how to reply to a newsletter, right? Like that just seems too much of a time sink. But just day one, you can just create the title, how to reply to a newsletter. Step one, like, you know, start with your name, like just some real basic. And then week two, just improve it. Week three, improve it. At some point, you're going to give that to someone else. They're going to ask you a question. Oh, that should definitely be in this document. Let's just write another line. Like, and then each time you kind of go through, it's just getting better. But at least you have that durable asset at the beginning that you can start improving. And if you kind of wait and don't do that, then you, you know, now you're a year in, two years, whatever. And now you have this huge process that you need to start from a, a cold stop. And that's just way more work than first just getting started that little kernel at the beginning. Um, and I think a lot of people just blow way out of proportion to start. Yeah. And I think most, most businesses wait too long to do this, yes. right? Because they, they, they make it too big, right? So they wait because yeah. it's, it's a pain and you're going to. You're going to spend, you're like, I'm going to spend my whole Monday writing a document, how to reply to one email when I can reply to 50 emails. Like it's just, it seems ridiculous. So they, they wait, they wait way too long. Yeah. And, the and then they wait until there's a negative consequence. Yes. That negative consequence is something got screwed up and boxes didn't ship to customers on time because we had some type of setting that was wrong. Right. We made some type of change and it turns out that the sale lasted too long. So now we lo we oversold our inventory. And these are the types of things that end up forcing businesses to create this process um, when it could have been something that they did proactively. And the truth of it is, is it creates redundancy in your business. You don't know if you're going to end up getting sick. Right. You don't know if there's going to be some type of emergency that like takes you out of play. And so these are the types of things that create the redundancy and continuity so that somebody else can jump in and be able to help, you know, keep things running smoothly in the instance that you're unavailable for, for a period of time. Yeah, I like that. And it's 2020. So I think all of a sudden we all realize business continuity, even at, <laughs> even, even at the entrepreneurial level is still actually a thing, right? Cause yeah. back in the day I worked for a big corporation and used to fill these great, do this crazy thing. And used to always think like, is this really like, okay, like if Boston got nuked off the map, like uh, something terrible, you know, some like hurricane hit and we're complete blackout in the state for days, like I get it, right? But now you actually, it's 2020, we realize like stuff can happen. It's like happened many times this year. So you have to kind of be ready for, like you said, just maybe some glitch, right? Where every package is late. So now instead of entering 20 support tickets a day, it's 200 or 2000. So now you can't do it on your own anymore. You need to bring, bring in an outsourced support team. And like you said, now you're going to have to start replying to each one of the, you're going to have to write a document that day on how to reply to all those emails that need replies that day. So now you'll be so far behind the eight ball versus doing it as you go. At least you'll have something. So you can bring that team in and say, start here. Maybe it's not the best, but it's at least better than nothing. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dude, yeah. Cool. I think that's a great place to leave it. That was super helpful. Um, people kind of, find more about the career coaching or what else you're working on, where would be some good place to check it out, check that out. Yeah, definitely check out our website. It's viten.com. That's V Y T E N.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn and connect on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. I'll add that to the show notes. Thanks a lot for uh, coming on today. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Charles.